Welcome to Sounds Familiar, a podcast where we discuss two pieces of media that share themes, plot points, or overarching ideas. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram to keep up to date with our upload schedule, news, and discussions. Take your seat, grab your popcorn, and silence your cell phones now. Please enjoy the show. mask there is more than flesh beneath this mask there is an idea and ideas are bulletproof i'm stephanie and this is sounds familiar voila in view a humble vaudevillian veteran cast vicariously as both victim and villain by the vicissitudes of fate this visage no mere veneer of vanity is a vestige of the vox populi now vacant vanished however this valorous visitation of a bygone vexation stands vivified and has vowed to vanquish these venal and virulent vermin vanguarding vice and vouchsafing the violently vicious and voracious violation of volition the only verdict is vengeance a vendetta held as a votive not in vain for the value and veracity of such shall one day vindicate the vigilant and the virtuous verily this vicious laws of verbiage veers most verbose so let me add simply that it's my very good honor to meet you you may call me v i'm justin and there is no spoon <laughs> welcome to sounds familiar my name is caleb I'm Stephanie. I am, as I said, Justin. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and this week, we're discussing two of our favorite films that mm. the Wachowskis got their hands, the their, their fingerprints shit. on. Um, the Matrix and V for Vendetta. Hmm. Yeah, so um, technically only one of these was directed by the Wachowskis, um, v for Vendetta was directed by James McTeague, I believe it's pronounced. Um, they were producers. Right, they were producers and I believe wrote the script, so like the adaptation of they the They did comic. the screenplay, yes. Yeah. Um, so definitely little Wachowski fingerprints all over the place here. And, and it's really obvious and we love them for that. Um, so yeah, figured this would be a good pairing. I mean, they do have a lot of similarities, I, I would say, like plot-wise. Um, I, I would say both of these are about... Ooh, the process of radicalization, the awakening of the self to the true, that's a capital T, reality, um, sticking it to the man, uh, yeah, the, the, uh, oppression of people by virtue of mistruths and false reality. And systems... Well, the the comfort <laughs> the, of being within a system that you have uh, given up your autonomy to. Uh, they are also about kicking a lot of ass while wearing black. And uh, in slow motion, frequently. <laughs> yes. Um, I, I would say good enough basis for similarity here. <laughs> right. So, Stephanie, your experiences with these films. Oh, gosh. Um, so should I just do Matrix just, first and then... Just, um, yeah. Yeah, okay. Um, so, I actually did not see The Matrix until rather recently. Like, I remember, I have extremely vague memories of when I, I was younger, seeing advertisements for this, and m more so for its sequels, because I was a little older at the time. Um, and being very intrigued, just because the aesthetic was so odd to me, I was like, what is that? Um, but I, I didn't know anything about them. Um, in fact, I saw a lot of movies that referenced The Matrix before I ever saw The Matrix. Like, I remember seeing the scene in Shrek where, like, uh, Fiona's, like, Fucking when fighting she's fighting people. Robin Hood's Merry Men. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which, I love that sequence. No, it's a great sequence. A musical number and all. Um, right, and I remember being like, 
interesting. And then later, people were like, oh, that's a Matrix reference. And I was like, what? (laughs) Shrek was on the ball with that one because Shrek came out, what? Shrek was 2001. So they had to have been like deep, deep into the production of Shrek when the Matrix came out and they figured out a way to squeeze that in there. That's, that's true. CGI animation time. It's like a reference, but at the same time, it was very close. CG animation at the time would have taken them forever to get that done. So like, they were like, this movie's going to be a thing. Like, to be fair, we're going to add it. All they had to do was pause the animation they already had and spin it around. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, that's true. (laughs) <laughs> and add the bit where she fixes her hair when she's fro- when she's in okay, midair, sure. but you know what? That's nobody's gonna remember that except me. So. <laughs> this movie became so yeah. ubiquitous so fast. I have seen so many references to that specific fight scene, down to them using the same <laughs> music, like <laughs> so many times and so many things. It's it's, it's funny because I think we talked about this a little bit in uh, when we were talking about Titanic. We were talking mm-hmm, about mm-hmm. movies that came out in the late '90s that got culturally memefied. Um, it's like in the 2000s. Watching, growing up, not having seen The Matrix, and then going back and watching it is like the equivalent of seeing Walk Hard, the Dewey Cox story, and then watching <laughs> Walk the Line. With the exception, with the notable exception that The Matrix is actually a good movie. <laughs> Ooh, Ooh, hot takes from Kate. <laughs> I mean, we already recorded an episode yeah. on Walk the Line. It's it's pretty clear what our opinions were, but yes, it's. I don't know. That's the sad thing about some of those movies that came out in that time period, like like Titanic and like The Matrix, is that these are genuinely fucking great movies that like that got so like memed. That, right, they became notable for a handful of things right. that were not the themes. Right. right, like Matrix became known because it it was like the pioneering this style of action movie filmmaking, and everyone else wanted to get in on it, and a lot of movies wanted to parody it, like kids yeah. movies and stuff. Um, Which so, I get, like we all share the culture, but like it's sad that it gets lost. It gets reduced in there. to like, that. What a good movie! It this is. movie is very heavy on theme and ideas yeah but was also happened to be like cutting edge it was doing a lot of other new things and it had a very unique aesthetic like even within that kind of cyberpunk aesthetic it it was visually distinct so yeah i uh for me watching films um older films now which god uh the matrix i can't believe uh, how long ago it came out I am slowly accepting my own mortality uh, <laughs> I, I'm not someone who thinks things are made worse by the passage of time I think if something was groundbreaking uh, 30 years ago it's still if you can watch it with that lens it still exactly. can be right. um, and so like yeah if you haven't seen The Matrix yet and you go watch it now it's there's some moments that are going to feel cornball to you but you have to understand this started all of that. Yeah. This was yeah. a revelation See, when it came out. I like to... One thing I like to think nice about myself, I guess, is <laughs> I feel I have cultivated the ability to view something within the lens of its time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Like, 
my family cannot watch the classic Universal monster movies because they're quote unquote cheesy. I, I love them. So I I like unironically love Dracula. Divorce and yourself so, from the modern Divorce context. yourself from like, it. And it, so I was talking to someone the other day, and I said, "Oh yeah, I just watched The Matrix again. It's so good." And they said, "Oh, I can't, I can't watch it. It's been parodied so much. You know, no, I watch those scenes, and it's no. just cheesy." And I'm like, "You know what? I saw The Matrix for the first time a little over a year ago." And the only thing I felt was, oh, like, that's what that's... I have context for this now. Right. It wasn't ruined for me. It is... No. If if you want to try and appreciate film, it is important to attempt to cultivate that lens yes. of viewing something within the context and the time when it was released. Yeah. Well, and honestly... I don't, I mean, maybe I'm jumping the gun here, but I don't think that it's aged poorly, even so. Like, no, I don't yes, think so Yes, obviously it was important at the time it was released, but still, when I watch it today, I'm like, okay, yes, obviously this was made with late 90s, early 2000s graphics with the way they were then, but but at the same time, it still looks really good, yeah. and it's still it, like, it. even the times when it doesn't look as modern as it could, I would say it still fits the aesthetic, if that makes sense, so it doesn't take me out of it. It's the Jurassic Park effect, and that they only yeah. use the CGI when they need to. That being said, uh, the Sentinels do look very outdated, yes. but it, not enough so that it takes me uh, out of the film. <laughs> it, yeah, I, I'm never bothered by it, and it, it's so firmly placed in that particular era of like the late 90s, um, and that sort of I guess cyberpunk aesthetic. I could be totally misusing that, but like, um, I think it really fits within that time period um, and speaks to kind of the cultural fears that were that were taking over at that time, like the the brave new world of the twenty first century, you know. Um, and I and I think as a as both a relic of its time, but also as a movie, just regardless of time, I think it holds up really well. And I guess now that we've gotten the broad no, strokes yeah, out of the way, no, you're right. It does feel very like pre Y2K. It does, yes, <laughs> but but in a good way. So ju- just a note on the impact that the aesthetics of this movie had, uh, for better or worse, um, the the look of superhero movies that like started coming out in the 2000s. The reason why they ditched the costumes in X Men. Uh, oh, and no. it went with black leather <laughs> is because of the popularity of the aesthetics in Uh-oh. the Matrix. No. Uh, so for better or worse, the Matrix shaped the look of action movies for the next at least 10 years. Arguments <laughs> could be made the next 20. Well, that, see, but it also wouldn't be fair to blame the Matrix for for those recurring uh, decisions. No, because... the, the Matrix is not to blame for any of the homage or parody that came out of it. The Matrix <laughs> did what it did, and it did it fucking fantastic. <laughs> yes. No, I, I completely agree. So, um, all right. Um... Well, uh, my experience... <laughs> <laughs> Well, okay, Caleb, you did briefly mention your experience. Yeah, no, I did. I saw this movie for the first time probably just Caleb, over a year ago. Caleb, who introduced you it was to probably this January awesome 2020. Movie. It was uh, Stephanie. Wow. Me I should watch what a it. champ. First <laughs> yes. Justin, Taste when was maker. the first time you saw The Matrix? Uh, so, uh, the, a lot of these... Who <laughs> knows if these stories are going to start sounding the same? Uh, uh, if, you, if you listened to Morbid May, 
Uh, you will recognize the story for just about everything we talked about. Uh, I watched this for the first time on VHS with a friend in elementary school. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and it blew my fucking oh, mind. Oh, if I had seen this in elementary uh, school, dude. It was so cool. And I've uh, this rewatch is only the third time I've seen it. I saw it that first time when I was a kid. I saw it one more time in high school, and I've seen it now. I think this is also the third time I've seen it, but it's funny uh, to me, but this is only the third time you've seen it. Yeah. When the first time you no. saw it, I was probably pre-verbal. For <laughs> <laughs> uh, real. And I've, I've only seen the sequels one time each, with the exception of... Animatrix? The Animatrix, which I saw because it ran on Adult Swim and Tech oh. TV a few times. I own it, but I've yet to watch it. I haven't watched the Animatrix yet, partially because I've heard it's like really violent, and I'm like pressing I, pause on that one. I'm gonna I, watch it at some point. I've seen it. it it's weird, because I've seen it probably five times all the way through. I can't tell you any of it, because <laughs> I was a very, very sleepy, sleepy child <laughs> when it was on. <laughs> They'd be on at like 2 a.m. and I'm just like, I, yeah. got, I got school in the morning. Yeah, that's one of those, you're staying up to watch Adult Swim because your parents are asleep and you're just doing it just because you can. Because, yeah. <laughs> you gotta exercise that freedom wherever you can, man. Um, yes, I, so, okay, so have you seen the Matrix sequels? Yes, I have, one time each. Okay, Caleb, you have not seen them? Nope. I... Have not seen them with the exception of I started watching Matrix Reloaded. I got about half an hour in because I had heard that there was a really wild orgy scene in it. I was very excited to see it. Um, but it turns out it wasn't even really so much as an, uh, uh, an orgy as it was just a bunch of people dancing really enthusiastically. And Neo and Trinity having very vanilla sex intercut with that. So I was a little and so Stephanie turned it off and watched some real porn like a goddamn adult. No, no, no. Actually, I no, I just started watching something else. I, 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 I was just it anyway. Was purely, now for something completely it was different. Purely for artistic interest. I actually do want to rewatch it. It's just that I've heard so much about how the sequels aren't as good that I guess I'm feeling kind of afraid. But I still want to watch them because right, I, I mean, still really care about the universe. Pa Patrick Willems made a YouTube video that's like a script doctor for those two movies that's probably as long as one that. of those movies. <laughs> I need to rewatch that because I actually, like, I, I'm so interested in this world, which makes me really want to watch the sequels, but also really afraid to watch the sequels because I've heard they're not that good. So, you I'm know. excited for the fourth one. Oh, they announced fuck. Christina Ricci today. Oh? Yeah. I mean... Good for her. Chit, chit, what? Um, the, it just, I, I need everyone in this room and our audience to process that uh, Keanu Reeves, Keanu Reeves is one of the most important action stars of our generation. Just let that sit in. <laughs> is, he, is he coming back for another one? Yeah, he's coming back for four, yeah. and he's John Wick. He's Neo, and he's John Wick. This man changed action movies twice. Well, didn't? Didn't, doesn't Neo die in the third one? Uh, honestly, I barely remember the Look, Neo one. died in the first one. <laughs> <laughs> and then the Death power Death cannot stop the power of love and magic. <laughs> That's the power of love and magic, bitch. <laughs> Quote Stephanie to <laughs> We still got the audio clip somewhere. <laughs> it's... 
You know what? That would be cool as hell if they brought him back and they were like, death? What? Death can't stop Neo. And he just, like, fucking comes back. That would be awesome. Okay, okay. So. So. Okay. Okay. Let's talk about the actual movie. Themes. Oh. Oh. We're just jumping right on in there. Well, I mean, look. People know the plot of The Matrix. That's true. They get... Do they? People know the <laughs> So there's a guy and some other like CGI guy puts a shrimp in the guy's belly. No, what do we have to discuss that, <laughs> part? that part? I hate that bit. He hates it. <laughs> I have a thing about belly buttons and that taps into a particular fear. It's like an anti-fetish. Uh, he has thin a, a phobia of your belly buttons. That's like the Caleb version of Goatsy. No, it's not belly buttons by themselves. It's anyway. I don't need to get into the specifics. Stephanie and I bonded too much over Morbid Man. <laughs> Caleb is doomed. He's like, I don't need this. Okay. I was out of town for the entirety of Morbid Man. Oh my god. I was watching Ted Lasso and just vibing. Caleb was vibing. Like, going for hikes, watching this nice little character-driven show. In every episode we recorded, at least as far as I can remember, we did an NSFC, like, scale. Really? How NSFC... You haven't listened to the episodes yet. You haven't We did, like, how NSFC is this, like, not say for Caleb. Justin coined that term years ago. We are going to sit you down. And we're gonna make you watch movies, and you're allowed to tap out. Uh, but we're going to make an actual scale. Uh, yes. Well, we actually need some actual scientific evidence. What based here. by like how long I last before I tap out? How right. long you last? The reasons why you tapped yes, you out. Yes, you also like, have to answer yeah. why. You it, we're we're gonna out. give you what, a survey. <laughs> what was the highest on the NSFC scale? Was it Evil Dead? I think. No. 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 I, I honestly, upon the rewatch, I think you can. Comedy. I, I think you can handle Evil Dead too. Yeah, you might. Like, you might cringe. Oh, right, sorry. A lot, you watched Evil Dead too. Never mind. I, if it was Evil Dead One, that that was my I guess. Would the say, remake is absolutely. That's. A I tense. would say <laughs> The Grudge and The Conjuring. I don't think he would enjoy because no, no. they're committing too hard to being scary. Yeah. Halloween and Nightmare on Elm Street. He could watch Halloween. He could. That's I true. could, but I wouldn't enjoy it. Bare, right. Well, I barely enjoy. It. <laughs> <laughs> you Not wouldn't enjoy it for other reasons. Yeah. Stephanie didn't. Enjoy I found it. it pretty kind of boring. Like it's fine, you know. Anyway, different, different. You know, we gotta have an episode where it's specifically a Caleb watches certain iconic horror movies for the first time and talks about them. Uh, oh, uh, 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 so the Matrix. Yeah, so the Matrix. Okay. Um. So, oh gosh, The Matrix. So, I don't even know where to begin with, as Caleb said, the themes here, because there's a, there's lot. a lot kicking around. I mean, I guess one of the most famous ones is that The Matrix has been, has become known in some circles as a trans narrative, which I, you know, I don't know how qualified we are to speak on that, but I can definitely see it. I, we can still discuss yeah, the yeah. overarching themes. Yeah. No, I absolutely see it. So I, I feel like the popularization of that specific brand of discourse is fairly recent, but it's something that has yeah. been backed by the filmmakers themselves. Uh, because if you don't know the story of the Wachowskis, uh, Google's your friend. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's, that's a good way to put it, Justin. Thank you. Right. Lily and Lana Wachowski are both trans women. And 
I feel like when you watch it, especially at certain moments, like when they're talking about like that this is like the creation of your true self or like how you see yourself. Right. And um, um oh when when he starts referring to himself as Neo right. and the, his allies call him Neo and only I noticed only um, Agent Smith dead name yeah. yeah. It more let's yeah. Yes. He calls to him Mr. Anderson he says my name is Neo. Yeah. <sighs> Great moment. Like uh, that's that's right. That's the, the owning of your true of self. True self. Exactly. Yeah, no, it, it, once you, once you hear that, it's, it's hard to not, the, the fact that this is, and I'm sure in certain circles this was, um, noticed, uh, when the movie came out, but the fact that this, uh, quote-unquote theory, I would now, con- I would now say it's a confirmed theme. It's a reading. Uh, yeah. Uh, is just now gaining popularity in the last few years. It's kind of mind-blowing once you hear it and then yeah. watching it. Um, well, it, it's yeah. like, the, not to get too meta here, but it's like being able to emerge from the Matrix. Like, once you see it, you're like, oh, you see how the whole you thing has been designed. Well, I'm just saying, like, once you are aware of the fact that, you know, oh, trans people exist, like, <laughs> um, which people maybe weren't as aware of in the general public in the 90s, but once you're aware of that, no, you look as, at it, you're only like, as punch oh, lines. this, uh, yeah. Also, uh, Republicans and conservatives who use this movies, oh, I'm so red-filled oh, to me, God. you are conservative woke, uh, kindly go fuck yourself. I can't believe, <laughs> I'm still, I'm so offended, like, I, like, personally, <laughs> That I'm like, how dare you use the Matrix? First of all, the work of Miss Lana and Lily you. Wachowski, like to, to further your weird ass agenda. I'm, I know, I'm so mad about that because I'm like, you, how can using you watch this to bitch and... about how women don't like you. Um, <laughs> that's literally the like R slash the red pill is yes. literally about if you take the red pill, you realize that women controlled everything, and it's like, oh no, <laughs> how could you go so far away from the true path? <laughs> Um, <laughs> it's bad. God, I, I. So we had a few drinks when we were watching this, um, and <laughs> as is our want. A, a portion of the way through the movie, I wanted to try and keep track of the the, the movie. One one of the themes is destiny and fate versus self determination. And I um, (laughs) forgot to keep track of where the movie ends up landing on that or if it keeps it ambiguous. But, you know, at first they I I think they're they're telling Neo that, you know, it's his fate, it's his destiny. And then when he meets the Oracle, I think she ends up being more like um, he says, I'm not the one. And she says, sorry, kiddo. Like that's a moment where you're like, wait, what? Because he he is not yet. (laughs) Right. right, it's it's he has not made the choice. He has not realized exactly. or decided he that he is to the one. Choose to become mm-hmm. the one. Um, and so that's interesting. I wish, like I said, I wish I had paid more close attention to where the movie lands on that. But I would, based on this discussion, argue that it probably lands more on the side of you are who you choose to be. Yeah. But also, there is still a little bit. It's. A little bit, I think it yeah. plays a little. It plays a little bit of both sides. Like it's, which isn't a bad thing. I'm saying there is the person you feel you're fated to be and the Mm. decision to choose that path or not. Well, that's also, I feel like that's also relevant to the experience of being trans because, you know, some people, some people who are trans describe it as ever since they were aware of themselves, they thought of themselves as not the gender they were assigned as birth. But other people, uh, 
go through life living as that gender and are okay with it and then eventually are like this isn't who I am anymore and that's also relevant like you can also become something different than what you were assigned it doesn't necessarily have to be something that you were always fated to be though it can be and I don't know I thought that was really interesting because there's a lot of these kinds of stories in like fantasy and sci-fi where there's like a prophecy or something like that or an oracle and and that is still the case here and yet it's given that degree of ambiguity where it's like she can't simply tell you what your path is you have to discover it right she can't just well he wasn't she says you're not it because he wasn't at the time right but it's the fact that he is given the choice i i really like the way that this story plays with the oracle and the chosen one myth oh yeah because so much of the time it's just you're the chosen one. You have to be. That's what you're going to be. Right. Yeah. That's Here what you are. Here he's given the option to and whether or not he wants to be. Right. Most one. of the time, there's the denial of the call. And they're like, but you have to be. This one, the hero, is given the option to deny the call. Right. Um, and I, I don't know. I think I, I, I like that. I like the agency that it gives the character. Yeah. I also like the way that it plays out less... Um, it's less cliche. I feel like it's it's less playing into the known tropes. Yeah, yeah. Um, it it I like the, it switches it up a little bit. I, uh, I I like the message that it has of um, you have the potential to be great, but you need to get over yourself, get over your <laughs> hangups, get out of your own way, let go, and just make the choices you need to make to get there and the choice is entirely in your hands if you don't want it it's not no one's gonna be like oh you failed the prophecy it's like no you made this choice we gave you these options all the way through and i think that's that's very relatable um again i I am it's this white dude i can't speak for any fucking marginalized group but i i feel like more so for those groups than even myself it's it's very it rings so true that you just have to just embrace who you are but on your own terms in your own way and then watch as doors open for you because you've just you've let go of any any baggage that you have and it's, yeah. it's fantastic and the movie uses a specific phraseology it's more than just choosing or it's more than just deciding to do this or be or be that it's the belief Mm-hmm. It's the moment it's beginning to it's, believe. Yes, it's the moment <laughs> that Neo begins to believe he is the chosen one. It's not just a choice he makes. He can say I am and I'm going to follow this path, but it doesn't mean anything until he begins to believe what th- that he is that, you know, that mm-hmm. he's able to tap in and you know see the matrix uh, and become the hero. Also, I like how it it does emphasize these importance of a healthy good support system yeah um, because neo started embracing who he what like who he is um saying my name is neo and he started like being able to kind of hold his own against the agents but it wasn't until his support system and trinity uh telling him she loved him that he was able to fully become who he is uh so i saw you new york times article that said dump your friends that are going through struggles because uh, it weighs dark, you down uh, i saw some of them on twitter fuck that be there for other people and yeah. watch you help each other grow and shine right it 
<laughs> and right, right, right. That 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 is so. That's one thing I love so much about this movie, in particular. I mean, backtracking a little bit to the hero's journey, I would say that Morpheus as a character is like the mentor. So you yes. expect mm-hmm. the death of the mentor, and so that's why it's so interesting when Neo is given the option, like when the Oracle tells him, "There's a time when you will." Hold your life and Morpheus's life in your hands, and you will be given the option to choose between the two of them. And the fact that we are so acquainted with the hero's journey means that we are expecting the death of the mentor. But the fact that Neo can then choose to, to say, no, I do not choose for Morpheus to die. I don't want him to die. He will not die. That is really interesting to me because it's like usually that character in the you know, the stereotypical hero's journey would die, but because Neo is supposed to be able to control this reality, he is then able to choose that that will not happen. <laughs> you look like you're having a I feel like I feel like Sokka in the Tales of Bossing say when he's like, he's vibing, he's about to lay down some fucking... Okay, I hype myself up too. I'm too much my own hype man. Um, okay. Neo, (laughs) the story of Neo in the original Matrix has also far longer than it's been spoken of as a trans narrative. It's been spoken of as as a Christ allegory. Of course. Um, I love a Christ allegory. He is the chosen one and he... T-Pose. He, yes. Okay. Stephanie's T-Pose on this. (laughs) I can't handle it. It's Christ. It all comes back to Christ imagery. (laughs) So it's not just about... On the one hand, you do have you have the romantic love from Trinity, but then you also have Neo sacrificing himself for Morpheus. There is no greater love than this that a man should lay down his life for his friends. (laughs) (laughs) T post dad. (laughs) Uh, I think yeah, that's what it is. That and I would say that's that's having the hero. The, the new, newly chosen, or, like, the newly realized hero laying down his life for his friends is probably, is, is a more powerful narrative than, you know, Luke Skywalker watching Obi-Wan getting killed in front of him, you know? And then, you know, he comes back and gets to talk to him face-to-face it's in the next fine, movie, yeah. you know? It's the death of the mentor. I would say the, the newly formed hero choosing to do that is, is more powerful narratively. I would think than you know the old dying to make well, way for the new. Well, it is because it is the acknowledgement of the legacy, the acknowledgement of what came before, and the valuing of that as not simply something that can be disposed of, but something that is still valuable, something that you need with you as you proceed into the future. And I, I don't know, I really appreciate that because. I guess it's so rare to me to have a narrative in which there's a young hero's journey person protagonist to be like actually i don't want my mentor to die like like that's kind of powerful because that's like rewriting the rules sort of i also i love it because um even though they both survive at the end uh the oracle was not wrong because in that moment when he chooses uh, chooses to go back for morpheus thomas anderson died and neo was fully born Ooh. oh <laughs> excellent the death and rebirth man okay oh that's like that's a whole different like i noticed justin gets we're going off on one. a complete tangent here because that's how i do i noticed a similarity between this and v for vendetta 
So, because I'm who I am, I love the romance, you know, I'm all about that. So, I noticed that the the big kiss moments in both these movies were both with, there was a man unconscious and a man behind a mask. And to me, even that seems to speak to the trans narrative. Like, the sleeping man who has yet to awaken, and the man behind a mask who asserts that the mask is not who he is. Like... Um, well, I don't it doesn't, know. doesn't he assert that the mask is who he is? Because he has that line where he says, there's a man <laughs> under this mask, but I assure you it is not me. Right, right. It's... But the, the, like, the... Yeah, like, he says, behind this mask there's more than flesh. There's an idea. And also, the man under this mask is no more me than, like, the bones and the flesh yes. behind it. But I thought it was interesting because in both cases it's like... It's this big it's, dramatic act of romance, and yet it's with a man who is not fully what he is. It's it's right. where in the story that the kiss takes place that gives it the impact that it has. Right. It's like, it's right before the big moment. And I think that's kind of beautiful because it's like, it's like, it's the act of being loved. It's the act of receiving love from someone that makes them truly what they are and allows them to truly accomplish their mission. Of course, right? It's... in V's case, he is dead when that happens, but it's still, it's still relevant, like, for the narrative. Right, it's like, it's, it's, she kisses him and then it's almost like he has an extra, extra armor going into that exactly. encounter with Creedy's men because what or doesn't he say she, okay she does kiss him he kisses kiss him, him before he leaves wait does she have to yeah she kisses him right before he okay, leaves okay so it's before he leaves and so he is it after when, no, no it's before okay it's before, it before? it's before i'm like my brain is like so it's before he leaves to go fight okay. creedy and his men and when he comes and he back says, i can't right no, yes. when he comes back and she says that she loves him, he says, you have given me all I need. Or that's a that's paraphrase. That's the, the most beautiful thing you could have the given me. The most beautiful me. thing you could have given me. And so that gave him, Evie was, yes, he manipulated her and did horrible things oh, to her. Oh, it's dark and fucked up. It's dark and fucked it. up and we'll get to that. We'll get to that. <laughs> we'll, I will talk we'll about I, that. Yeah. But it was also, she was also his remaining connection to humanity that kiss and her 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 being there and loving him is probably is what he needed to go into that encounter and survive it it's and do what he needed to do. It's symbolic of something greater, right. Right, and I think, I, and I noticed that that was also the case with Trinity kissing Neo. Like, I just thought it was interesting that in both cases it was like a man, a man who is not himself, a man brought to life by a woman's kiss and... I don't know. To me, that seems like almost like it could could be part of the trans narrative. Like someone who seems to be a man but is not a man, like is then becomes his or in this case her truest self, like by encountering the love of the feminine, as Joseph Campbell might put it, <laughs> <laughs> the encounter with the goddess. I don't know. It's. It's yeah. interesting. It, it, it's a lot easier to read that in The Matrix because this is a fully original work. Um, yes. Super yes. Vendetta True. is an adaptation, but anytime someone... Adaptation. And we'll, we'll get into that. Uh, yes. Uh, <laughs> but even if you're adapting something, if you have a strong message or a point of view, like, just as a person, 
or as an artist, it's going to bleed into that work Which, somewhat. God bless the Wachowskis, they always have a point of view. Oh, absolutely. They always have themes they are explicitly trying to get across. Right. They do not make movies to just make a fucking movie, right? They no, always know. have a message. They right. always have an idea. And I love that. Yeah, I no, love exactly. a director with an idea. With a theme, with something to get across to an audience through like, this medium. Every time you see something that the Wachowskis made, even if you didn't realize it was the, the Wachowskis while you were watching it, if someone tells you afterward, you'll be like, oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> like with Sense8, another one that I would definitely recommend people watch. Like, that's another one where it's like, you'll just be watching it and vibing, but if someone tells you it's the Wachowskis, you'll be like, yeah, I could see that. <laughs> I haven't seen, seen season two, but season one of Sensei was intense. And still so sad it got canceled. I but know. Are they still making that movie? End. Or did they already do oh, it? Oh, they did. They did. That already happened? Yeah. Fuck, see, I... <laughs> I've not watched any of it. You should watch it. it. No, I'm just... If you're not gay now... <laughs> No. As I get older, that Kinsey scale keeps sliding. (laughs) (laughs) That seems to be a common theme among us. Um, Yeah. uh, Okay, okay. So. Let's talk about some of the lighter stuff in the Matrix. Right, right, right. Clearly, tons of kung fu movie homage. Okay, okay. Oh, Oh my God. Uh, Please, take us away. I want to talk about the scene. Uh, (laughs) The scene, the training scene between Neo and Morpheus. Mm -hmm. That is such a good way to establish the new rules of this universe and have Neo go through his, like, journey is through a classic, like, kung fu movie (laughs) style-ass sequence because it just, it hits all of the notes it needs to. It shows you the new rules for this universe in such a beautiful, natural way that doesn't feel heavy-handed or over like like it's over explaining itself cuz he it's he so elegant how to fight so it's it makes simple sense. it's so simple they're just like he gets in the chair and tanks like i could just upload it and neo's like i know kung fu and then guess what boom they fight that moment when uh, neo's catching his breath and morpheus goes is that air you're breathing and neo's Ooh. like oh shit i'm like this is so good this is so good so let's let me pause for a moment. Mm. There is something that... It's not... Okay, it's not pausing. There is something that these two movies have in common. And that is, one, the choreography and cinematography. They work hand in hand. The action yeah. is very clear. Yes. Like, there might be oh, a... Th- there's a fair amount of cutting because, you know, they're intense action fight scenes and these people aren't actually going to be hitting each other. Mm. Um, but... It is clear, distinct. You can tell what is happening in the action. It's not a fucking Transformers movie. Uh-huh. Like, two people are fighting, and you know what punches are being thrown, what kicks are being received. You know your, your brain cognitively, you, you just, you grasp what is physically happening on screen. Yeah. And then on top of that, the lighting is also great. Mm-hmm. Even when it's dark. Like, the, the scene in V for Vendetta when Evie first meets V and she is being accosted in a dark alleyway, it is still well lit. You understand that it is late at night and it's a dark alley and there are these creepy men, but it is lit well enough that you can still see what is happening on, like, Godzilla. Mm. Like, you, 
your brain understands it is dark, it is late, but visually there's still enough information for you to pick up on what's going on. And I love, I love that. I cannot say enough about clear filmmaking and cinematography and editing to where your brain can understand to where you can watch an action scene happening in the dark of night and still again grasp it bring you around to the mcu to make it relatable that's why the shang chi trailer has me very excited it's yes. like those look like the most like you can see the action yes uh, oh, action good. sequences that we've ever had in the mcu so that makes me very excited that's um yeah, the um the color kind of the color grading uh color grading color gradient. Mm-hmm. Um I thought that was interesting because the matrix is always signified by like the color green. Mm-hmm. And then the real world is like this kind of like a blue filter yeah. but but like a blue filter that signifies like natural light like yes. how natural light is blue like light. even when they're in the nebuchadnezzar it still feels like natural right. lighting it's, which is so cool even though they're like they're, deep underground right they're in an enclosed spaceship underground and yet there is that like kind of clear blue light that it's like it's a good point i totally forgot that we discussed that yeah yeah and, and it's really cool and like even when you see them like typing in the matrix it's green and so that is like it's interesting because green is sort of a color that we associate with like the natural, but I guess in this case it's been co-opted to to sort of be representative of the machines in their artificial world. Yeah. Which red is the opposite of green. I'm just now noticing this. <laughs> the la- the lady in the red dress which was supposed to be an an anomaly mm. in the the matrix's coding that was supposed to distract Neo. It's the opposite of green. Anyway. <laughs> no, that's a perfectly yeah. good point. That's another um, good sequence. Is, were you listening to me or are you looking at the lady? You're in the looking dress? at the woman in the red dress. And right. I mean, I can't blame a man. So. <laughs> well, it's not like they seem to see red very much in that world. No, yeah, the color itself. Right. Um, um oh god. I had something, Stephanie. Oh? What were you talking about? Oh, gosh. Well, I was talking oh, about color grading. Let's talk about the villains for a second. Oh. Mr. Uh, Cipher. <laughs> no. Uh, I'm going to talk about Cipher. Cipher. Moving on. No. Uh, <laughs> I like Cipher. No, hold on. Hold on. I, I think Cipher's a cool hold character. On. We can, you're allowed to say fuck Cipher, but also... <laughs> no, no, no. He's a, he's a also, great villain, but fuck but, him. No, but also, <laughs> Cipher had a point. He did. And by that, I mean... I totally understand. If I lived in those shitty situations oh, yeah. and had to eat fucking amoebas for breakfast, lunch, and dinner for eight years mm-hmm. after living in the Matrix, I probably would also want to return to the Matrix. Oh, I'd be back in there so fast. I'm All I'm saying, so I'm not saying he's not a piece of shit. I'm saying he's a understandable piece of shit. I would have probably drawn the line at murdering everyone, but I would have definitely wanted well, to murder. Once again, on Stephanie Matrix. being the, the fucking moment in Parks and Rec with the I won't murder. I won't like, murder, but, uh, but I'll you, do anything else. You selling out to have your creature comforts back, you're selling out the entirety of the surviving humanity. So yeah, fuck Cypher. And yet I get that. It's like, it's like people aren't Ooh, this is where we get I'm not in this for your revolution. <laughs> Princess, and I'm not in it for you. Um, the, this is where we get into the kind of the interesting question. Is like, technically, people who are in the Matrix aren't actively suffering. They are just living in the world. Like, the fact that it's not quote-unquote real. Like, what is real? Right, that brings up the question, like, if you don't know... Right, like, if you're... people are experiencing it and it seems real to them, then it is real, you know? Okay, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I, 
I, I, I dream, therefore I am, you know, but it's, I, I, it's, I feel like it's not necessarily that bad. That's kind of the interesting thing, because one thing I will say about this movie is I don't know if it really sells the idea that it is better to be outside the Matrix than in it. No, it, it absolutely does not sell <laughs> okay, that. I'm well, sorry. I, <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the thing. Like, for instance, if I was dreaming right now, I'd be kind of pissed because I'd be like, okay, dream, give me something better. But, I mean, like, if my life was perfectly normal and I found out I was dreaming it and my real life was something a lot shittier and I was confined to a ship and robots had taken over mankind, I'd be kind of like, well, put me back in. Yeah, I'd be a little pissed I woke up. (laughs) First of all, yeah. Me personally, if I knew what was really, that I was in a pod of goo, uh, that would eat me alive. In the Matrix, I would not That's be comfortable. True. I, I would not be once happy. You realized it. I, I would be. So it, it's really like <sighs> this movie isn't perfect in <laughs> what it does thematically because it does leave a lot of room for debate, which also makes it very fun to talk about and watch. Yes. Uh, but it's like because what's the point there? Should you fight for something better in your reality, or should you accept that you are? being just sedated to be used or what what's the what's the line i think you're gonna walk i think what the movie is saying is absolutely that no matter how horrible the reality is it's still better to know the reality and to be able to make your own choices within it Uh, because everyone within the matrix is deprived the ability to make that choice right yeah but also I'm the opposite of you in that if I knew I was living in a vat of goo and I knew what the reality would be outside of it and my other alternative was living in this uh, digital world connected to the minds of every other human being living a fake life with all of them, I would be just as content to stay there. I, I, I guess I guess the line for me is the fact that I know that there's an entire underground city of humanity that's like not in the Matrix and they're fighting for something. Where the knowledge that those uh, The knowledge that those people exist would be enough for me to rebel against and the yet, system. And yet I'm so sympathetic to Cypher because he's he even says it he's like i know that the steak isn't real like and yet when i eat it it it, you know it tastes real it feels real to me and that i would be like yeah honestly like i yeah i I understand (laughs) his plight and if he was like having a struggle and was being conflicted yeah i'd feel for the guy but no the guy's a murderous sellout piece of shit that's true (laughs) he he takes a little bit too much pleasure in it to the point where it's like okay no he's fully believing like this steak's real good i'm going to electrocute these people no that I don't, I don't know the actor's name off the top of my head. He does a really good job. No, he's, he's a fan, really like he fantastic is excellent, character. He is excellent at playing a hateable piece of shit. Yeah. If you haven't seen Memento, have a couple drinks and watch Memento because you need a couple drinks to make the ending go down. At least once you start to understand what the fuck's happening. Um, he plays Bro, a just horrible, horrible, horrible. No, apparently there's a there's a way to watch the movie in actual chronological yeah, order, yeah, just, and it's not as good. Just watch Aww. the movie. Just watch it normally. The gimmick is actually what makes it good. Mm. And I mean, Guy Pierce is uh, fantastic in it too. Mm. So mm. just watch Memento. 
Yeah, I uh, th- I don't know. as someone who has experimented with uh, with psychedelics, uh, <laughs> the real world uh, is better. But that being said, sometimes <laughs> that fake world gives you a certain amount of clarity and appreciation for what you have. Yeah, so. <laughs> and I mean, I think it's also noteworthy that Neo, you know, was not exactly on top of things in the fake world. Like, he already kind of was someone who was looking for a way out. Uh, so something I really want to do, speaking of Cypher, is... Um, Cosplay. I, I No. <laughs> Eat a steak. Shave your head. I, Kill all your friends. <laughs> okay, <laughs> <start>. <laughs> I would like to go back and rewatch it because, again, I was a child the first two times I saw this movie, so this is the first time watching it as an adult. Now that I know the context of everything, how it all works, I kind of want to go back and rewatch the scene where Cypher talks to Neo and they share that drink to mm. see if there's any cues of like the conversation with Neo shook his faith in I the plan at all, and that's why he yeah. did what he did. And I'm sure there is. Oh, there's absolutely so- ah, kitty cat. Sorry, <laughs> Sorry. I just got clawed in the leg. Like, yeah, hi. Our cat just jumped um, oh, there is absolutely set up in that scene. Yeah. Uh, I was paying a little closer attention to it this time, and I, I couldn't cite you specific instances, but there's tons of foreshadowing. Well, I, I, like, I'm sure there is. I would just like to know exactly yeah, like, no, what there, lie it is. There's tons of foreshadowing in that yeah. sequence. Um, yeah, that, that's true. Um, oh, gosh. Okay. So, whew. That there's so much to talk about this movie that if you really even try to talk about it, it all I have to say is Morpheus is my daddy. Oh my god. <laughs> I was gonna say the screenplay and the script are really fucking good. But... Oh no, no, the thing is, like I was so feeling Morpheus this time around. I was like, it's like he's so like he's so calm. Like he's never like mean to you even when you're fucking up he's just kind of like hey you probably don't want to do that like he's <laughs> he is he is a man <laughs> he's so chill morpheus morpheus is a man of faith exactly. he is a man of unshakable faith right you, you like morpheus because he's a hot priest character that's what he is <laughs> That's what Morpheus is. <laughs> Honestly, that's probably true. Morpheus is like... the sexy, sweary priest from <laughs> Fleabag. Like, honestly, yeah, like, I totally love Keanu Reeves as Neo, but, like, this time I was like, oh, Morpheus, he could just, like, tell me what to do, you know? Like, he could just be like, Ste- Stephanie flip-flops back and forth between the innocent, <laughs> the, the innocent knave and the, <laughs> the fucking priest. <laughs> God. Oh my god. No, I was really feeling it this time. I'm at a stage in my life where I'm really into like hot dads <laughs> and like extreme vibes there with Morpheus. Like, because it's like he never gets mad at you. He only, it seems like kind of disappointed. It's like, oh, daddy, no. <laughs> like, <laughs> I was feeling it, man. Anyways, so The Matrix is a great movie. <laughs> you should watch it. Let Morpheus be your daddy. Is the, is the takeaway. <laughs> oh my god. Um, anybody else got anything? <laughs> Uh, this this movie, um, once again, I, I say this with every classic movie that we watch, it's as good as its legacy tells you it is. Uh, if you haven't watched it in a while, give it a rewatch. If you've never watched it, watch it. Uh, and just, again, 
throw away all of your you're gonna notice references just throw all that away just watch it with fresh eyes yeah like try to watch it as a movie because you'll realize as i would argue is the case with titanic oh this is actually a pretty good fucking movie movie. like just on its own like and you should appreciate it for that frankly (laughs) so stephanie's gonna come to your house and beat you we're gonna have a fucking talk about the matrix (laughs) stephanie's gonna show up like you want to (laughs) tussle i'm gonna do the little uh finger signal that like (laughs) the come at me bro thing that neo does yeah all right so Uh, first actually uh Morpheus does Morpheus it does during it the first. training sequence, and oh, then Neo does it. I'm sorry, Neo Daddy. pulls his trainer's move <laughs> and does the, which is a great moment. Yes. I love that. No, it actually is. It's really great. I fucking <laughs> love it, dude. Okay, um, I'm sure we'll probably have more thoughts about the Matrix when we get into our um, discussion movie. at the end. Yeah. Uh, so join us after the break for V for Vendetta and see how far the rabbit hole goes. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Hey everyone! Thanks for checking out our show. Give us a follow on Twitter at SoundsFilmilliar and let us know any film pairings you would like us to cover. Did you also know that we have a sister show that covers cryptids, UFOs, and anything else strange and spooky? If that sounds like your thing, be sure to listen to I Hope You Exist on your favorite podcast service. We love you. Now back to the show. Veniversum vicis vici, by the power of truth, I, while living, have conquered the universe. Oh yeah. What an excellent segue into our bit about V for Vendetta. <laughs> That's about trying to cheat the devil, isn't it? Ooh, it's from Faust. Ooh. 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 <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> I broke uh, Justin for a second. Were we recording? Uh, yes. Uh, okay. Speaking of speaking of Faust, uh, fellow nerds will be very excited that uh, Guilty Gear comes out tomorrow, as of the release of this episode. What the fuck What's Guilty the Gear is? Guilty what? Gear is a fighting game. There's a character, a, 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 a crazy doctor named Faust. Oh, uh, cool! I love uh, any Faustian <laughs> reference. Uh, um. Sorry to uh, all the redditors watching uh, WandaVision guessing that it was um, oh, Mephisto. It was Mephisto all along. When in reality, it was <laughs> it just was about a woman's along. psychological journey, something that you wouldn't be interested in. <laughs> Mephisto is pretty cool, I'll give them. <laughs> no! No! We're not giving any credit to the Maybe dude who cool. was a. No! No! <laughs> We're not giving any credit to anyone involved with One More Day. Sorry, not One More Day. What was the... I'm a yeah, it was One More Day. One Day, day yeah. more. Brand New Day is what followed it. That's oh, when okay. Dan Slott started. Right before that was One More Day. And we're not giving any credit to the storyline that broke yeah. up Peter Parker and no. Mary Jane. Oh. Never Fuck mind. that. Never mind all of the Ghost Rider and Doctor Strange stories that involved Mephisto. That one Spider-Man no. story tainted the whole Fuck legacy. Ghost Rider. <laughs> Fuck Doctor Strange. Aunt May should have died of cancer. <laughs> Look, I okay. Let's talk. Let's talk about Spider-Man ships for a second. Wait, what? No, we're gonna. I'm gonna go off on this for a second. We're recording. Okay, 
yeah. There's a scene. There's a scene in uh, what was it? It was ASM number ninety. Okay. 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 Sure. Where Peter saves or he attempts to save the life of Captain Stacy, and he reveals as he's dying that he knows that Peter Parker is Spider Man. Mm-hmm. And he says, be good to her. She loves you so very much. Huh. And he dies. Okay. Okay. And Peter says, I'll love Gwen and cherish her as long as I live. That's her beautiful. dad dies. Oh. Revealing that he knew it was Peter all along. So he never really gave his full effort to capture Spider-Man because he, he, he knew, right? Mm-hmm. Um, all the while Spider-Man thinking he was this awful guy who was trying to, to do him in. And that wrong to me, like Ben Solo dying after his mom dies and like, like it's pointless, right? Because Gwen Stacy dies like 50 issues later. Honestly, yeah. Right? She is set up as his his love, right? And her dad dies, giving his blessing. And then she dies 50 issues later. It's a pointless death for both of them Uh, to both die. And then, and then he's with Mary Jane for how many decades? Gwen Stacy died in the 70s. So him and Mary Jane were together throughout the 80s, throughout the 90s, and the 2000s, and then they get broken up in, like, what, 2007 to 2010? I don't remember which. It's stupid and pointless, all because Marvel editors were like, no, Spider-Man can't be married. That's not relatable to the teenagers who read our comics. Not realizing that teenagers are no longer their primary audience and haven't been since the 70s! Uh, well, Caleb, you're missing the crucial moment in uh, ASM 472 where it says, uh, quote, shut up, nerd. <laughs> Honestly, I, I don't really completely know what all Caleb's talking about, but I feel like I'm picking up what he's laying down. You I, know what I, I mean? feel like I have to say that was a joke because as soon as I said that, Caleb looked like he was about to shatter his drink glass in his hand. Well, the thing is, I get what he's saying. You want, like, when a death happens in something like this, you want it to feel, like, earned or necessary, you know? Deaths in comics used to mean something, or at least so I thought, until I read that issue of ASM number 90, in which I realized it's always been pointless. Uh, Jane Grey's death meant something for a long time until they were like, hey, no, she didn't actually die. The Phoenix character that you've <sighs> seen is actually a, uh, a a magical clone of her, and the real Jane Grey is asleep in an egg in the bottom uh, of a bay and found by the Fantastic Four. Sure. Uh, and also the Phoenix Force is Thor's mom. Yep. What? Yep. Uh, comics are weird. And speaking of comic <laughs> books, we... Segway! <laughs> 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 Back into yeah, let's go ahead and back into yeah. what this episode is actually yeah. about. I was trying Calming to figure down. out how to I was trying to figure out how to segue from that, and, and that was a more natural one. That I was, was going to say Caleb was about to shatter a glass in his hand, much like the Chancellor in <laughs> Beaver Vendetta. No, we're good. We're we, that was an excellent segue, Justin. We're going back into what this episode is actually mm, supposed to be about. Okay. We're lowering our voices and talking more calmly because That's we have true. neighbors that we share a wall with. Um, <laughs> Now, uh, <laughs> they're, welcome they're to this episode of NPR. Um, 
Mrs. Thorns. My name is Derry Murbles. I'm filling in for Richard Chang Jefferson, who I am. I'm, I've done that bit before. We don't something, something. Dan Castle and Edda is great. Opera yeah. about a pear-shaped woman uh, who is following the migration patterns of our nation's squirrels. Well, we, we have not been. seen him since. <laughs> uh, research shows our listeners love jazz. Our, our listeners love jazz. <laughs> So, be a perfect death. Yes, okay, okay. So, wait, wait, wait. So, experiences. Uh, experiences with the V for um, Ben. Experiences with Stephanie, the V. That is a different podcast. Much, <laughs> much like many movies that we have discussed on this podcast, I'm pretty sure the first time I saw it was when Stephanie made me watch it at some point during college. <laughs> like God, I do not play at dice and do not believe in coincidence. That was such a good laugh. Mubby. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, uh, for me, the first time I saw this movie was on uh, Netflix, not the streaming service, on DVD oh, through the mail. Man. Oh, shh. Um, I was in high school. Uh, my parents got this movie on uh, Netflix DVD to mail. Uh, I watched it, and then I had a friend who was super, super, super into Alan Moore. Um, so I was able oh, to read the graphic novel. Is that someone you're no longer friends with? Uh, yeah. Okay. Uh, See, I, you can guess these things. I didn't uh, know that. Holy shit. <laughs> uh, Caleb and I went to the same high school. He can kind of let he, you can smell the person we're talking about. Oh my uh, god! <laughs> Call it literally. I'm right? so sorry. I'm so sorry. Uh, Thank you, Chattanooga Whiskey, for that comment. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, so I saw the movie and really enjoyed it. Um, I think I was too young to grasp everything it was putting in front of me at the time. Uh, and I was uh, even less graspy of the graphic novel, which I also read, especially since this was at a time in my life where my insomnia was at its peak and I was sleeping like an hour a night. So a lot of this didn't stick. So Dear God, I uh, I yeah. could not relate to. Uh, yeah, uh, go to the doctor and get your mental health checked out, kids. Uh, oh, <laughs> honey. Uh, Ooh, if Alan Moore plus poor mental health, <laughs> it's a it's a I miracle. I'm not an incel. One way or another, that story ends with an explosion. No. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, this is only the second time I've rewatched this movie since that. Uh, mail-in netflix what? experience yeah i know i know what about me yeah i watch this movie every year on november the 5th with you <laughs> That's because it's an excellent movie and yeah. i never regret watching it again i fucking love this movie i'm so glad to hear that I'm, it's always very satisfying for me when a movie that i make him watch um and i'm uh, always uh, kind of unsure whether he'll enjoy it or not um, he ends up liking. That's always very satisfying. She's usually uh, right, so she should stop being so nervous about it. So let me, let me, since you guys watch this so frequently, let me, let me clarify something real quick. Um, this movie, uh, this is also when I was watching the Van Helsings and Hildalgos of the world. So me this, for Van God Helsing. bless both of them. Uh, this movie kind of got, and like the Constantine, speaking of Keanu. It got lost in the fold of kind, mediocre. It kind of got lost in the <laughs> early to oh, mid 2000s no. action it I deserves see how, better than I that. I guess that would happen yes, to someone, and I'm glad it didn't happen for yeah, me. Yeah, it, it just all kind of got mishmashed together. To and be fair, I like most of those movies movie. are great. Yeah, no, yeah. yeah they're, they're fun. 
I'm not going to call them good. We did an episode Those of Van Helsing. Those are the kind of movies that aren't but, really getting made much anymore, and right. I do like them. Mid-budget, yeah, schlocky adventure movies. Right. Yeah. And this did come out in 2006. That's right in the midst of yeah, all that. It all, it just, it, it, it is a good movie. Uh, it's just with everything else that was around it, even though it was doing a lot of the things those movies were doing better, in my opinion, um, it did all start to feel kind of samey. So, mm. yeah, it just kind of got thrown into that mix. For me, it's a little different because I have a very specific memory attached with this movie. Actually, long before I I actually saw the movie. Long ago in a distant <laughs> land. Sort of. I, like, I remember in the year 2006 was the first time I ever took a plane ride, for one thing. Or, I'm sorry, ever took a plane ride, not as an infant. Technically, I did take one when I was three months old, but I don't remember anything about it. Um, I took a plane ride from Atlanta to Washington, D.C. with my family, and I remember looking at an in-flight magazine and seeing an article about V for Vendetta and seeing images from the movie and being really scared of the guy in the mask and be like, that's a scary phase. What the <laughs> fuck is that? And yet at the same time being like, that's anonymous stuff. What is this? Like, I remember being really intrigued. Like, I want to know more about this movie. And then I remember when we were in D.C., where we were flying from Atlanta, um, I remember seeing a trailer on a TV in a restaurant for V for Vendetta and being like, that looks so fucking cool. But also I'm 12 and <laughs> I don't have a TV and I've never seen a movie in theaters and oh, I don't know what's going on right now. And yet I'm feeling right. things. I <laughs> like, that, that sometimes I forget that <laughs> my first movie that I saw in theaters was Angels in the Outfield. Oh, and the first movie that Stephanie yeah. saw in theaters was Shrek 2. <laughs> Shrek the third. Oh, Caleb. even worse. <laughs> Shrek the third. Ah. Stephanie saw her first movie in theaters in 2007? Yes. 2007. Oh, so the year after this. Right. So I just remember feeling like, oh, I'm so intrigued by this. Like, I'm scared, but also I want to know more. And I, I had to completely table that until... I want to say my freshman year of college when I actually ended up watching the movie. And I want to say it was on November the 5th because I remember... Someone was having a watch party. Yes, someone was having a watch party. And God bless that person. I don't even remember who it was. Some dude. God bless college dorms. Yeah, exactly. And they rented out like a like a lecture hall with a big... Like, Good for them. Hey, what an enterprising freshman. A fucking ally right there. Um... <laughs> And I remember watching it and just being like, <laughs> like what? So how long after seeing this movie did you go to Spencer's and buy your V for Vendetta poster that you had in your dorm room? Oh, oh, like two weeks. Like, or it wasn't even Spencer's. It was, um, so my college would have like a big, like beginning of the year poster sale. Fuck yeah. And I went straight over there and was like. I see a big from a for v for Vendetta poster. <laughs> I'm buying that shit immediately. Stephanie like... had uh, in her dorm room had a V for Vendetta poster, a Doctor Who poster, <laughs> a Moulin Rouge poster, and Star Wars. 
I stand by those. No, no. You're... I also had a map of Middle Earth, I want to yes, say. Yes, and a map. I knew there was something yes. Hobbit related. Oh, Most of, of those animals. You knew there had to be well. a token thing. I, exactly. Whatever. Anyway, as far as I'm concerned, all of it's age well. That was me specifically taking a shot at Doctor Who. Oh my god, what? <laughs> hey, even the ninth Doctor has good moments. <laughs> I the, they all have good moments. I didn't even finish the Matt Smith seasons. Uh, that's where I'm at with that. Well, franchise. I mean, that's because Stephen Moffat took over her show on it. Mm. And, you know, we're, I'm not here to get into why I hate Stephen Moffat. We're here to talk about. going on tangents. We're yes, here that's... to talk about V for Vendetta. Anyways, very formative for young Stephanie. Um, and when I first saw it, it was like very cliche, like mind blown moment. I was like. Oh, that's what that means. Like, that's what those feelings I have actually mean. <laughs> like, I am a freshman in college, and I'm just now discovering the concept of sticking it to the man. And Stephanie had yeah. always internally felt the concept right. of sticking it to the man. You feel it inside. She just but you did not know how to put it into words. It. Right. Exactly. So, oh, big, big moment for me. Like, oh, wow. This movie was fucking formative, dude. Like, I'm going to hold off right now and let you get... Let's, let's, yeah. So, V for Vendetta. Um, V for Vendetta. I I love this movie. There's a lot of different tangents we can go down here. Yeah, Yeah. you're right. There's, there's... It's, There's it, a lot it of is, avenues. This movie is far better than it has any right to be. Yes. Like, I feel like it is the type of movie that is very liable to be the butt of a bunch of jokes. But it's also, like, it. this movie does not miss. You mm. know? Like, the, the Wachowskis he do not miss. miss. <laughs> the Wachowskis do not miss, okay? I, uh, so, so, as someone who is looking on it with relatively fresh eyes... Uh, every time I was like, okay, this is where it's gonna start getting corny. I was like, nah, this movie fucking rules. Exactly. <laughs> that's Wait, it. Dude. That's 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 a good way to put it. Every time you think it's and about to get corny, time, it like, nah, it fucking rules. This movie never stops being relevant. Okay, like yeah. it is depressingly relevant in post COVID. Okay, you know how they're like eighty thousand people died in the UK from that uh, virus that the government yeah. sick down people. Do you know how many people died of coronavirus uh, in the UK? A hundred twenty thousand more, forty thousand more people than in this fictional universe with this fictional and virus. Also, seeing politicians be willing to sacrifice the lives of its citizens for a political gain mm. is very relevant here in the states. So and in the UK. And in the, and in the UK. Uh, okay, so let me. Uh, this is actually a, a great time to uh, get into part of Alan Moore's problems with this film. I feel oh, like that deserves please. its own jingle. Please. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, number one, let me say, me uh, talking about this movie, I politically, I can only look at this through political concepts and through the lens of American politics. I'm not going to sit here and pretend I know about any poli- uh, politics in any European country. I don't. <laughs> no, I not <laughs> um, So let me just say him. that. I don't know what the fuck uh, is going on. Now, uh, we're, this is going to be a recurring theme throughout our discussion here, but one of Alan Moore's problems uh, with the film is he feels like it Americanized the politics in the movie when his graphic novels very specifically about politics in the UK. That is one of his many problems with the film. While we're on that tangent, 
Could you enlighten us a little bit more? Because we were discussing earlier how we noticed that Alan Moore's name was not even listed in the credits. If you could, like, let's just have a short segment here. I say short. Let's just have a segment here about what Alan Moore and this movie. Okay. Um. Yeah, it's actually, honestly, it's probably better to just get this all out, like, in one section. Yeah. <laughs> um. So we don't keep going on tangents. Number one, Alan Moore has a problem with adaptations of any of his work. Uh, if you, his name isn't on the Watchmen film, I don't think it's on the Watchmen TV show. Like he wants his name stricken from any adaptation of any of his work. Um, I don't even think his name's on the animated Killing Joke movie. Uh, I mean, I wouldn't want my name on that piece of I, shit. No, yeah. <laughs> it's not oh. good. It's not good. Oh dear. Yeah, that's not even a controversial opinion. Um. And I'm not an expert on the subject. I just kind of like skimmed some articles. Uh, you can hear Alan Moore This is himself. a podcast. That's all you need. Yeah, yeah. you can hear Alan Moore himself <laughs> talk about it in different interviews. And there's tons, I'm sure tons of YouTube essays about like Alan Moore and his relationship to adaptations of his material. Yeah. Um, but just my understanding of it is number one, he felt like it Americanized the politics too much for him. Mm -hmm. And he specifically wanted it, to, wanted it to be about politics in the UK. Uh, number two, uh, he feels like his message is diluted and he feels like there is more of a clear hero and villain in the story. Yeah. And at the time that he was writing the graphic novel, he wanted it to kind of show the faults and sins of both of these, uh, sides of extremism. Now that is a take that is definitely dated in our modern modern the, time the, the all sides are bad or yeah whatever. yeah the good yeah. people on both sides yeah but. hashtag both sides uh yeah. yeah and also he had a huge problem with v's interpretation he feels like the movie romanticized v too much oh, which yeah. i'm here Extremely. for no i'm here for it too but i get <laughs> uh, what he's saying he, yes. he said v uh evie falling in love like actually in love with v in the movie feels like yeah, exactly. very very hollywood it's very oh, yeah. romantic uh but we, love that. It, we do love that <laughs> it, in the graphic novel from what i remember and from what i've read about alan moore's opinions is he feels like um evie goes through what she goes through but is still traumatized by v but like grows to respect and agree with his point of view and ends up picking up the mantle at the end and it's more of it's less of a romantic relationship than it is more of like v just served as a vehicle to radicalize evie so he just he felt like what the film was saying while close to his intentions didn't exactly hit the mark and alan moore is not the type of artist who unless you are doing a one-to-one -one adaptation he's not going to put his name on it uh, yeah, uh, I mean, most and, people are fine with close enough. And don't get me wrong, Alan Moore is not a perfect human being. He might not even be a technically good human being, but he <laughs> is a great writer and good for you for just like living in the UK and doing your weird sex magic, Alan Moore. Like, <laughs> do, do your thing. <laughs> so I have read the graphic novel but it was in my freshman year of high school, right on the heels of me watching the movie, and I was like, oh, shit, I need to read the graphic novel. And then I read it, and I was like, eh, what the fuck is this? <laughs> <laughs> but um, it, I, I think it, I, I'm glad to know that backstory, because I feel like it kind of makes sense now. Yeah. Because it's like, 
the the graphic novel the biggest thing about it that i noticed um the, the most noticeable thing about it is that it is so much less black and white it is very much like whereas the the movie you know takes the hollywood route which we're fine with we appreciate where it's like much clearer like heroes and villains like you know there's some there's some world gray area but you know in the end you very much know who to root for that right. kind of thing um, whereas the, the graphic novel is extremely, like, it's very leaning hard into the morally gray aspect, and it's, it's more about, like, anarchy versus fascism, whereas the movie could be said to be more about, like, American liberalism versus American conservatism. Yes. That's... You know. That's, it, that's the, like, exactly it, his it, point. Exactly. Right, right. right. I, like, I feel like that has... From based on what I know about current UK politics, has also grown to be more true. Like, I, yeah. that, that's 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 me talking yeah. out my ass without having done any extensive to, I'm research. Not even, I'm not even going to to attempt uh, Brexit. What I don't understand <laughs> the complete ramifications the, of all that. The book is just miserable. Like, and, and I mean that in a nice way. Like, I think it's very good, but like. You know how when you watch the movie, you just get that, like, delightful, swelling feeling of, like, yes. Like, I will fight for the... freedom yeah. and liberty. And, like, in the book, you're just like, wow, everyone sucks. That's a, that, <laughs> and and that's, that's a theme in Alan Moore's writing. Right, it, course, The first course. word that comes to mind, if you were to, like, describe Alan Moore's writing, the first word that comes to my head is, it's bleak. Oh yeah, yeah, very yeah. bleak, and 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 I respect that. However, you know there there's an interesting thing that I've been thinking about lately, which um, I think Lindsay Ellis talks about a little bit in her uh, video on Hunchback of Notre Dame, which is like the kind of being able to transfer meaning from from one iteration of a text to another, mm -hmm. if that makes sense, like how the original Notre Dame de Prairie was about one thing and then over Every time adaptations the is... adaptations of hunchback of notre dame as we have covered here on sounds familiar have become more and more about sort of about social justice i guess to put it maybe slightly reductively and to put it about um the relations of humans within individual societies to each other um and, and, you know, that's fine. Like, that's not what the original work was meant to be. And yet, once a text has entered the cultural imagination, mm -hmm. do we not have some right to it, you know? And, and I think I would say the same thing of this. Like, when you read the original V for Vendetta, it's much more morally gray. It's much more kind of just a amusing on the effects of radicalization and just it's about morally gray people on any side of the political spectrum and it's not necessarily endorsing any particular view like ooh uh, fucking uh <laughs> fucking what's that fu i'm going to be i'm going to be a white person here for a second what's that fucking line from hamilton what what what's the what's the line the fucking it's I don't know. hamilton to aaron burr that's the fucking um 
If you stand for nothing, what yeah, do you fall for? It, it, well, yeah. If you stand for nothing, bro, what do you fall for? I mean, that's a good it's line. The fucking it's that's that's Alan Moore, right? That's the whole both sides viewpoint is not standing for anything. It's it's refuse saying, but there are equal points on both sides, or there are bad people on both sides. Is refusing right, well, to take a stand. What, I Justin? Mean, hold, hold on, oh. Justin. <laughs> oh, hold, hold on, please. I I don't I. Uh, while the original V for Vendetta is bleak and, like, yes, it it shows the faults of, of both and it's like, yeah, there's, like, good or bad people on both sides, whatever. I think it still lands on, like, more so yes. V is right, like, despite the ugliness right. in it. So Alan Moore is still saying something. And I think this is a good opportunity for us to uh, briefly discuss that... Um, Alan Moore gets a lot of shit for taking his names off his projects. Like they're like, "Oh, what a what a yeah. uppity asshole!" Like, what? How pretentious of him to do this? And I honestly, like, I don't blame him because once you create a work of art, like Watchmen and V for Vendetta are cre- they're he's not working with previous IP. That is something he created with contracts saying that, like, yeah, DC is going to own those IPs. So once you create something, you create a work of art, and then the intellectual property is no longer yours, and those adaptations are no longer in your hands, if you feel like what it is selling and what it is saying is not in line with what you intended that work to say, I think it's perfectly fine to distance yourself from it. So I, th- yeah. I think people need to lay off of him for being so like harsh on his own adaptations because because he might not own the ip but like he wrote what he wrote with his vision in mind he seems like a man with a singular vision yeah someone with a a very clear view of what he wants to say and that you know having read though like i said caveat don't remember all the little bitty details I, I could definitely see that the original V for Vendetta graphic novel is very much an exploration of of extremism, you know, in, in any shade. And that's exploring, like, the things that that can do to a person's psyche when you so much kind of combine the personal and political, which, you know, you hear those terms completed together. The personal is the political, and I think that to some extent that is what V for Vendetta is mm-hmm. about. Like, and yet when you so much combine those two things, it's like your entire being can become consumed within that political identity. And I think that is what the original text is about to some extent. And it's not supposed to be excusing anyone, but it's also not supposed to be completely demonizing anyone, which is what is really interesting about it. Because when you watch um, the movie version of V for Vendetta... It's, I would say, I wouldn't call it black and white, but I would say there is definitely a distinct villain in the form of the Norse Fire Party. Yeah. Um, is that what it's called? Yes. I had no idea what the party name was. They just refer to it as the party. <laughs> the they probably the John to, Hurt Party. They probably um, call it that like once in the entire yes, movie. Also, uh, we, we just paused for a moment in the middle of that sentence just there because it thundered very unexpectedly. Oh, yeah. So it's very it's so like, cinematic. We're supposed to get quite the ripper of a storm tonight. So. Oh, really? Ooh. I thought we were last Ooh. night. I guess it got pushed off. Global anyway. warming in Florida, the constant threat of hurricanes. That's what I was told when I was driving. <laughs> 
Oh, okay. See, my mom was like, "Are you gonna? Are you staying there? Or are you driving back? Because the weather's supposed it's okay, to get buddy. really you're bad." It's okay, but you're safe. You're not. You're safe. You're oh, gonna no, sleep I'm, on our couch I'm, again. Chattanooga whiskey. <laughs> I am staying safely yeah. in this house. Yeah. Anyway, Steph, Stephanie was saying. Right. Right. Um, what was I saying, dear God? Um, um. Well, anyway, so it's very much becoming about like the bad fascist guys versus versus. Versus, versus the bad leftists, the 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 scary leftists, um, which is I, interesting. I mean, I feel like that's a good moment to talk for a second about the uh acquiring of Justin. Justin's acting like he had something he really wanted to say. That's more important than Justin. I'm not going to forget what I had to say, Justin. Oh, what were you saying? Okay. Uh, um. So I, I kind of like the graphic novel uh not more than the movie because the movie fucking rips uh <laughs> <laughs> exactly, uh, exactly uh but i i do to a degree appreciate what the graphic novel is doing because um a lot of our stories uh that we get now especially like in big blockbusters they have very much a like the heroes win kind of cookie cutter thing, which don't give, I'm not, I'm not shitting on that at all. I love that shit. I'm an MCU fan. Like fucking just spoon feed that shit to me. No, same. Uh, but I yeah. do, I, I do kind of like uh, that this movie and especially the graphic novel is willing to deal with morally gray protagonists. And I wish more people would do that um, nowadays. It's specifically people who are, being given millions upon millions of dollars to make blockbuster films like there's tons there's tons of great art right, out like, there that are De- doing deadpool is not the only morally gray character right <laughs> <laughs> there uh, can be morally gray characters that don't quip about it constantly uh, because like <laughs> while i love our characters that are like allegories for our strong beliefs and like give us the hope to carry on because we can as- we can aspire to something greater I do think there is room for heroes that are like, man, things are really fucked up and sometimes, like, things are going to feel wrong, but you have to do them in the name of I, progress. And I I like that in that's, me. That is something I was actually, was I was thinking about that this week, thinking about the, about how many stories we get where the villain has a point. Mm. The villain has been slighted and they, the the thing that they are fighting against is something that should be fought against. Like the 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 as I already said, the villain has a point, but because they're going about it quote the wrong way, mm. the hero fights them. That's the big and excuse. then and then it is never addressed. Yeah. The villain is defeated, and we never address the villain's initial concern, which they were right to be concerned about. It's the whole fucking it's why I hate the stupid fucking eco-terrorist as the villain in a movie like in Godzilla King of Monsters which like okay nobody nobody watches a modern <laughs> Godzilla movie for the plot but that's what fucking ruined the second modern Godzilla movie Godzilla King of Monsters was that the the eco-terrorists are like oh we're here to help the titans because they're here to restore the natural balance like fuck you like I'm sorry like fucking where people are right to be concerned about 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 the 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 about the uh, ecosystem, about climate change and all this shit, and making them into the villains to like help these monsters wipe out all of humanity. That's not where we want to be. That's not a message I want to. The fucking 
it's yes like you were saying justin the v it's that's what you it sounds like you're saying about the graphic novel is v is right but because he went about it the wrong ways he is wrong like and then his issues are never addressed like i well to be fair like yeah like i mean a lot of properties that's how they trap them into that quandary where it's like oh, well, you know, you were right, but you didn't say the magic word. Like, but to be fair, I think in the graphic novel, I think, I will say to Alan Moore's credit, I, I think he really does explore kind of the different sides of that very well. And he, he very much kind of conveys that, like, this individual person, whoever V was, you know, he's a very disturbed person who has completely subsumed the political and the personal um, I don't think I used that grammatically correctly, but You're he fine. he has consumed the the political into the personal and has become this ideological terrorist. You know, someone who is very single heartedly devoted to this one thing. Um, but you know that I mean, I would say in some ways that a graphic novel and a movie are two different forms of media. Yeah, they are. They absolutely right. are. And tell different stories and that's okay. Like within a a a book or a graphic novel, you have more room textually to tell a certain story. And within a movie you have 2 hours or less, you know, give or take, um, in which to tell a story, and it's okay to simplify it a little bit, and and I think it's okay that there are two different versions of the story that exist. And in fact, I kind of like the idea that there are two different versions of the story that exist. Yeah, like you have the more complicated version, which Alan Moore wrote, <laughs> in which it's anarchy versus fascism, and there are pretty shitty people on both sides, and people who are obsessed, and people who are human, and people who are fallible. And then in the movie, you have a maybe a more clear-cut version in which you can see a good versus evil narrative and you can align yourself with one or the other. And and that's okay. Like, when you take those in tandem, maybe you see kind of the combination and, of those yeah. things. And that's not to say that the movie, after all we've said, that the movie entirely dismisses right. the fact that V has questionable methods. Oh, yeah. Because Evie is arguably the audience stand-in. Mm-hmm. And, you yes. know, as soon as she realizes that V has been murdering people... She's like she is not okay with it, and immediately plans to like she she pretends that she's going to help him so that she can try and get out of yeah, being she's, his captain. She's pretty active. No. <laughs> yes. Oh, okay. So it's it's we're about to get into this. Our our audience stand in views him as clearly having in a wrong methods, um, questionable methods. I would say it's never completely black and white. Like even when it seems black and white, there are no because you still usually some you usually right. agree with V. Like when she, usually, Evie, Evie but... finds out, Evie's like, "You killed the guy who was the head of the uh, the fake news network." Oh and, no! And you Via's... stabbed Alex Jones to death. Crickets. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and she's like, "Did you kill him?" And V is like, "Yes." And you're like, "Yeah, of course he did." Yeah, of course, I yeah. Mean, so would I. Well, I'm fine with but, this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think we'll hold off on that. Um, uh, uh, so, uh, so just we, we've spent a lot of time on it now, but I, I think I'll sum up my thoughts between the graphic novel and the film like this. Um, I think 
that having two adaptations of a work that still sticks to the core ideology to some degree is for the audience, maybe not for the creators, but that's a whole other thing, uh, for the audience is actually better uh, because then you get to get the message of the work from two different points of view and you are able to think about it and discuss it uh, in a more informed and uh, enlightened, for lack of a better word, way. Um, just because you're, you're seeing it through different lenses and that gives you a head start on processing what it's saying. Yeah. Um, so when it's done well, and I think V for Vendetta, the film, as much as it differs, is done very well. It's something that's actually beneficial for us as audience members yeah no i agree <laughs> Sweet. Good to see no no i wasn't saying anything i was leaning back and collecting myself mm-hmm. well i think that i mean first of all there's you know just the fact that it's a movie you have to set it up with a certain structure that will lend itself to a movie you know um whereas in the graphic novel it's maybe a slower progression because everything is more in shades of gray whereas in the movie you know you go i see it as the progression of um the ideological radicalization of evie mm-hmm. where it's she starts as someone who is trying very hard to be neutral and over the course of the film goes from neutral to caring about the cause to being an active radical participant in the cause um and i think that's good like i honestly feel like in the movie she has more agency than she does in the graphic novel and i'm going to choose my words carefully here because i can't really remember it that well but like in the graphic novel you from what I recall, she, you don't get as as strong of a sense of her as a character as you do in the movie. It's more just someone who's kind of caught up in all these machinations. The things are happening to right, her. Exactly. Right, exactly. Yes. And she feels much more active in the movie. And I like that. Um, and, and, you know, that... This is where we get into some interesting territory when you compare this with The Matrix. Because... It's a different narrative, and yet there are these similarities between them. Like, you can see Evie as sort of this neo-character who is someone who is having to be awakened from the the dream state. Right, she's just living her life, trying yeah. to not make any waves. And I... You know, I, I'll be honest, there are some times when I find Natalie Portman's performance as character a little stiff and awkward, and yet, because I am so invested in the story, I can rationalize that to be true to the character. Like, um, I can feel her character being truly stiff and awkward because she is torn between this, like, the fact of where she is in her life and the knowledge that her parents were revolutionaries and that is her legacy 
Like, and, and there's always that kind of gnawing at the back of her brain, like, I'm supposed to be more than this. And yet she's constantly trying to do, like, what she's supposed to do. Right. Which I think is really cool. Like, <laughs> I think I think that shows up a little bit. Yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting line between the two, because the Matrix is like, okay, so you've realized uh, you've been blissfully living a lie. Uh, now do you make the choice to change that to, like feel whole and feel real or do you stay complacent v for vendetta everyone knows they're living a lie like everyone is full they're full aware but they don't see an alternative they're like they accept this is how things are but they're fully conscious of how things are in the matrix that you're not until you're until you get woke yes (laughs) it's in V for Vendetta, it's when everyone is allowed to realize that everyone else knows the same thing and, they're, that, and that they're allowed to acknowledge it. It's V when he, he sends them all the the V costumes that they're all given the permission to publicly acknowledge yeah. what they know everyone else is thinking. When you can when take the on masses, that When the masses take on the mask and the hat and the cloak and show up and but like Justin is... Justin? Uh, sorry, sorry. I did not to not to interrupt or undercut your point, but just uh, before I forget this, at the end of the film, when everyone's taking off their masks and all of the dead yeah. are shown, I'm like, "Fuck yes, that's good filmmaking." <laughs> well yes, right, exactly. When it's everyone the who has died lives on within that persona. Yes. Yeah, when everyone who has died resisting the cause to this point mm-hmm. is included in like the mm-hmm. victory, the victory oh, march. So um. It's it's interesting and unsurprising that this film that when you watch it is very much um, speaking like to the power of the people. Um, what's the oh god? What's it? Who? who what, what movie was it that said that government should be afraid? Or who was it that said government should be afraid of their people? It Wasn't it V for Vendetta? Tom, I mean, yeah, Tommy. What am I thinking of that I heard that? Now? It doesn't matter. People should um, not be afraid of their government. Government, government should be afraid should of their people. I think that's in. Was that in V for Vendetta? It was in V for Vendetta then. Yeah. And that's that's. that's I don't know who actually originally said it's, it. It's that's one of the points of this movie is that like the 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 that this populace this trodden populace and all these people who are thinking these things that they know they shouldn't say out loud because the government will say something are allowed to come together and realize that together they are more powerful than their oppressors. Um, was co-opted by 4chan uh, to, to blow up vans and make Fox News uh, nervous. Um, <laughs> I think it's funny that this, I, uh, I guess I would call it a socialist metaphor. I'm not sure. I could be using that term entirely wrong. Anarchist, the, the, this, you go this, by Alan Moore's original intent. Yes, yes the, the, this this power to the people was co-opted by dudes to make Fox News think that they're hackers who can oh, bring the government crumbling to Which, its knees. Don't, I, get, don't get me wrong. Uh, I love when people fuck with Fox News. <laughs> Absolutely. But like, there's a lot. Uh, please continue to fuck with Fox News as much as you want. There, there was a point in my life when I thought Anonymous was this thing that was cool and mysterious, and then I realized it was probably just a bunch of neckbeards, some dudes who knew how to, like, ping 
Google on in command line. Who Caleb, don't say this. I created our email address. I'm I'm the one that's going to get doxxed. (laughs) I mean, if they would use their powers for good, then... The most good they ever did was blow up a van. Um, And... And then Reddit thought they caught the Boston bomber, but it was some innocent dude. So oh, let's not yeah, let's not start. give too much uh, credit to Internet Anonymous. So one of my favorite sequences in the film, just switching gears. Here. Who is this for, Chan? <laughs> uh, I love when Evie is staying with I can't remember the character's name, Stephen Fry. Yeah. Uh, when she's staying with Stephen Fry and his show airs and he's it's like the first time that like any type of satirist or anyone has yeah. gone after the government and the instant response the instant violent response to that uh, was one horrifying two does such a good job of like because especially at that point in EB's story when she's like conflicted about whether or not mm-hmm. she should like go with V or not mm-hmm. that uh, as the final nail in the coffin of her radicalization is such a great moment <laughs> that her parents were disappeared by those black bags and then mm-hmm. so was her only friend yep and oh god I had something for a second. I had a real actual thought. Okay, I found, I, I found it again. Justin? Oh, sorry. And not only that he was arrested because of the satire, but the reason he was executed is because he had a, a religious text that went against the norms of the society. Right, they were uh, a Christian society explicitly. Yeah. Quote, unquote. Um, yeah. Quote, unquote. Um, interesting thing I noted. It's very... It's very simple filmmaking, but it's effective and you feel smart when you notice it. Mm. Um, so V was born out of the fire of burning down the Lark Hill facility. Mm-hmm. And after he finishes torturing Evie and she is reborn, she steps out into the rain. And so so he is reborn in fire and pain and screaming and she is reborn out of rain and healing and laughter. Um, mm. And so she she makes a very interesting counterpart to him because she reminds him of his humanity and what he's fighting for. Not just th- that he is fighting not just for the people that hurt him, but also for the people that are currently being hurt. And that she is supposed to be the the less destructive side of him justin is once again no sorry just the moment where he's offering her uh, his cloak and she like shrugs it off and like walks so out she there. can it's feel the rain such a powerful so moment good. oh my god this movie fucking rules I know, I know. It fucking <laughs> no i right and, and then and then really he good, gives but... her the choice mm-hmm. to decide whether or not to blow up parliament mm-hmm. he 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 really he says i don't remember the line but he is he is fighting Something for a future the new that, world belongs to different people right he is fighting for, for a future that is will not be his because he knows he is about to die right so he is going to give the power to decide that future to someone who will live to see it right i also love the moment um when she comes back and says she can't stay here and he says uh you'll find no locked doors here i was mm. just like mm. she's yes. completely <laughs> free is what is said Right, um, I do really like that because it's um, it's interesting because it's like simultaneously like the um, kind of horrific sculpting of someone into 
a a a fighter for this resistance and yet the acknowledgement that the future that they usher in will look different from the present you know will be something that could not have been even envisioned by the current you know the current people who are fighting for this cause which Mm -hmm. is in some ways like that's the essence and in some ways the downfall of progressive movements is that the future is something that you cannot see the the future is something that is always in motion and that you have to leave up to the people who will live it always in motion the future (laughs) yes thank you impossible to see I probably paraphrased that. Yeah, I'm sorry. More or less, it's fine. No, it's I was fine. I was already smiling because I was having a different thought, and then as soon as you said that, I was like, I have to quote Yoda here. <laughs> Difficult to see the future. Yeah, yeah, exactly. No, exactly, exactly. Um, right, right, and and I do like that though because I feel like it is extremely relevant. Like the fact that they are intercut together is to show not so much just that the, the cycle is repeating itself, but that it's a positive repetition. The cycle repeats itself, and yet change mm-hmm. is inevitable. Like, with, with each new generation that comes, the cycle must progress further to a different stage. And what you were saying just now triggered a, 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 another thought. Mm. This is we're, we're just going endlessly here. Um... <laughs> Evie's when Evie says that she loves V, it doesn't necessarily have to be a romantic love, because the letters from his cellmate that he passed on to Evie when she says, "I don't know who you are, but I love you," that could have been what Evie was trying to say to V was like she learned that was it doesn't matter who you are or what you've been through, like I love you. And so it, it, did, it didn't have to be a romantic love. It could have been Evie learning that and carrying that and him feeling like he had actually finally gained what she had, what his cellmate had. Justin. That's such a good read. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, and I think that's a part of the, the whole point of the movie is that the platonic, the personal, uh, or the, the political, the personal, the platonic, the romantic, it's all... It's, it's, it's inextricable uh, from each other. It's just the forms in which we love, the forms in which we insist on existing, the forms in which we exist. We insist on ex- existing with other people, connecting with other people. It's all one. And I feel like that's that's the takeaway from these movies. You know, it's all bound together. Our existence is inextricable from the existence of the people around us. Insert the Mr. Long, uh, Mr. Incredible meme. Love is love. <laughs> <laughs> ass is ass. <laughs> no, no, no. That's, but that's, it's so good. Like, and, and that's what I, I really love about these movies is that, you know, I feel like both of them, they really put um, it just an interesting process of romance at the heart of it. And just, a, like, both times, like, ways you wouldn't really expect. Like, but it's all about, like, the the combining of the political and the personal. The combining of the ideological and the romantic. And it's, it's 
the joining of <laughs> I'm too drunk for this. Uh, the <laughs> the joining of the ideological, the romanticizing of the political, and when you fall in love with an idea, you fall in love with a person. Or when you fall in love with the person who represents the idea, I should say you fall in love with the idea. Well and... spoken, comrade. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> No, that's why that's why it's so important. That's why you need both. That's why you need Evie to fall in love with B and for him to fall in love with her, despite the fact that they've got some weird fucked up shit going on you, there in the meantime. It's, it's the ability to transfer your general conceptual caring for humanity and your it's it's relating your specific relationships to another person your empathy with another person and translating that to everyone around you whether you know them or not because that could be an extremely broad vague thing but when you put it onto a person when you put it onto a face or a mask when you put it onto a singular entity you can say this is the person that represents everything that i love everything that i don't understand that i want to understand everything i want to be this is what i want and what i need to know and and i think Which, that's what's so powerful about it is that person represents the other that you seek to understand right and you you god these movies are so powerful and i'm just now realizing like okay like they could a certain read on based on what we're saying we're like three rabbit holes deep now <laughs> Is like the I like like on my fundamental worldview is the ability to transfer your empathies for a specific person you know to people you don't is necessary for caring about the betterment and the future of all mankind. Right, Right? the personal. (laughs) Justin's over here fucking the political, (laughs) exactly, and and I think that's been really formative for me because. Now I I'm I love the concept of a love story that is about love as the process of conversion or the process of conversion as a love story like beginning as someone who is blind to something and becoming someone who sees something who sees more than what they saw before because they love because they connect with something beyond themselves because someone who represents something other to themselves become something that they know i don't know do these words no they really do uh (laughs) and i i I think all of the points we're making is that if you want a relatable point uh that's the reason why it is getting harder and harder and harder for you to love your hyper conservative uncle Uh, Uh, it's because we as a people especially an interconnected people constantly online are becoming more and more aware of how these things that you were supposed to shrug off in previous generations, like, oh, that's just how he is, oh, he's just set in his ways, actually harms uh, marginalized people or even just society in general. And, yeah, it's uh, Mm. this, this movie really makes you realize that, like, yes, you should have empathy for everybody as if you knew them, but also that harm for harmful behavior is toxic and should be confronted that's about the interconnectedness of things another point this movie makes is the 
the we did what we had to do at the time. Like if Ooh, you were there, yeah. you knew. It's very it very much tried to clean that to what is it, what is it, the Nuremberg defense? Yeah, like the we did what we were told. Orders. We were just following orders, following orders. Yeah. Right, right. which is what everybody says. That's what Creedy says. Ooh. That's what that what the dude who ran the detention facilities, whatever. So yeah. he's like, if you were there, you would have known. That's just how things were done at the time. Mm. And you know that's if, like Justin said, hearing shit about like oh like giving passes to people who are were born like way before you who are are super racist, you want to give them a pass. But also, guess what? There are people born exactly the same time as they were who were not super racist, that suffered because of their ideology, <laughs> and specifically because of that ideology. The bar has been exactly. so low for so long, for far longer than you thought, right? Like, it's anyway. I'm getting, I'm yeah. getting too deep uh, here. We, I, I don't mean deep philosophically. So, I'm too far down. So we've, uh, we've been talking about this movie for a while now, but I do want to say uh, this movie has one of the best my turn moments in all <laughs> of cinema. <laughs> I no, when, when we were watching the movie, when we were watching that scene, I turned to Stephanie. I said, "I love a my turn." Yeah, yeah. It's so good. They're they, they're never bad. No, it's so whether the, it's this one and the my turn scene in the first Iron Man movie. And That's although that one is politically uh, questionable now, uh, 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 listen, listen. As a as a giant Wolverine fan, a my turn moment is always great. Always satisfying. <laughs> no, so good. Yeah, even though I have to suspend disbelief a little bit with that little janky little metal vest he's wearing, where it's like, oh yeah, that's it's literally just a chest plate from a suit of armor. Well, it even yeah. it even shows that it's full of holes yeah. and like covered in blood, like. It shows that it it shows that his physical armor didn't actually do anything, but his emotional mm. and ideological armor protected him. That's the power of love and magic, bitch. bitch. Oh yeah. Yeah, no, hold on, hold on. That I was making a, a, a reference and a joke, but Stephanie was right. It's Ideas more are or less bulletproof. The same idea, right? Mm. Mm. <laughs> no. What's the line in the Matrix? I can dodge bullets when you. Ooh. realize your potential or whatever it is you'll no longer need to that's exactly mm. what happens mm. here <laughs> mm. he did he did not need to dodge bullets because ideas are bullets because he was exactly. bullets this is dumbest is bullets more than a man <laughs> there is a gun <laughs> And a bunch of knives. No. I think that's a good spot to end. Oh my god. The way that there's so much about this movie that we didn't even talk about. Now there's so much. But guess what? You know, we've, we've spent so long discussing it we the way really that we have. That I couldn't yeah. begin to talk about it. So much other stuff. If we don't kill it now, we're going to be here for five hours. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and probably. it's... Uh, quarter past midnight uh, so okay yeah so so uh audience um before we do our regular send-offs uh we we are a little more drunk than we normally are uh, uh on these recordings that's because we're all together and, yeah. and it's because we're all together and i feel like it's it's appropriate it's like it's a celebration yeah. uh because yeah. I, I i am going to make an announcement here Oh, oh right, I okay. forgot about that. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, don't don't worry, Uncle Justin's not going away forever. But I am taking a hiatus from the podcast. I've got some big life changes coming up, and a lot a lot on my plate. Um, so I I will pop up here and there on episodes, but me being here week to week, 
uh, isn't going to be a thing for a while, but don't worry. Way you to bring in, us down, Justin. You are in more than capable hands with Caleb and Stephanie. Stephanie and I already proved that this podcast can work with two people, so. <laughs> <laughs> That's true, I suppose. Uh, so I'll, I'll, I'll still be popping up. My plan is at least, at least once a month to be on one of these. Um, but yeah, so thank you for being with us on this journey so far. And I will see you soon. Oh, we love you, Justin. <laughs> well, thank you, thank you. No applause, please, for throwing money. Pretend I'm throwing money My name is Caleb. You can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd at actual underscore Caleb. My name's Stephanie. You can find me on Twitter at Steph has no name and on Letterboxd at Raise Left my name's justin you can find me on most social media at blame it on butler and you can find this show on twitter at sounds familiar we see you guys next week presumably good night everybody (laughs) love ya good night thank you so much for listening to our show be sure to check the episode description for any links we may have included related to this week's episode you can find us online on Twitter and Instagram at Sounds Familiar. If you'd like to get in contact with us, drop us a line at soundsfamiliar at gmail.com. We'd like to thank our friend Chelsea for our logo. Check her out on Instagram at ChelseaBHDesigns. We'd also like to thank Shane Quick for our theme music. If you feel so inclined, please leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. And be sure to tune in every Thursday for new episodes. We'll see you next time on Sounds Familiar.